Okay, go. You're listening to the Debatable Podcast hosted by Greg Sedashny. It's available for streaming and download at debatablepodcast.tumblr.com and on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at DebatablePod and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash debatablepodcast. Greg also co-hosts All the Pieces Matter along with Fernando Madrigal. All the Pieces Matter is a retrospective podcast on HBO's The Wire. It's available for streaming and download at wirepod.tumblr.com and on iTunes. Find All the Pieces Matter on Twitter at wire underscore podcast and like the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash wirepodcast. Last but not least, you can always find Debatable and All the Pieces Matter anytime at actionagogo.com. So please, check out our sites on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Tumblr. Check us out on the street if you see us there. Leave us questions, comments, feedback. And if you're up to it, rate and review us on iTunes. We really like that. And hey, let your friends know about us. But above all, enjoy today's show. Thanks for listening. That's great. That's great. Thanks. I want to thank Parker for that intro. Uh, she was really nice to uh, to do an intro for me. Uh, read 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 some copy. Um, I uh, I wanted to to kind of add a new voice, especially to those intros, to those plugs, um, to the show as a whole. Too, you know, I just get sick of always hearing my voice. As as uh, egomaniacal as you might think I am, uh, I I'm not that much. So yeah, it was good to uh, to have a, a change of pace, um, especially for that intro. And uh, she is Parker. And Cooley on Twitter. I'll give her a, uh, a shout out in the show notes. Um, you know, go friend her on Twitter. Go talk to her. She's uh, she's a very witty person. Uh, knows her shit. Uh, big into uh, movies and film and cult cinema and horror movies. So yeah, go go uh, go follow her on Twitter and uh, and become her friend. Um, this week um, is our third anniversary. It kind of came up, uh, snuck up on me, just like it probably did you if you're a listener. Uh, really. Uh, wasn't keeping track of it, uh, but yeah, June second, two thousand twelve, is when the show started, and uh, man, it's 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 been a while, man. <laughs> it's been it feels like uh, like we've gotten a lot um, under our belt, a lot of talks, a lot of content. Uh, we just recently uh, did a hundred episodes, you know, so uh, so another milestone, three years, and uh, no one better than uh, Billy Corbin to uh, to celebrate our third anniversary. Um, a great uh, documentarian. Uh, you probably have seen his films. They are they carpet bomb um, every single uh, streaming service. Netflix. Um, yeah, you, you know if you know Cocaine Cowboys, if you know Square Grouper, uh, The U. He's he's done several movies uh, for Thirty for Thirty, uh, ESPN's uh, documentary series, um, and uh, yeah, he, he just recently came out with a uh, a new documentary um, that is also uh, now available on Netflix called Dogfight. So um, it was a brief discussion, but it's uh, quality over quantity. Um, we do talk uh, about uh, his outlook on on uh, being documentarian his origins uh kind of like uh you know the the actual process of making a film and uh we talk a little bit about each one of his movies uh, those those big tentpole films so uh it's a good talk i was so happy to have billy on it's actually been uh in the works for for years actually i think i started talking to him in 2013 so it's been uh, over two years in the making but finally uh got some time with him and uh that's how 
we're going to celebrate our third anniversary. So uh, enjoy today's show. And the next episode, we'll pick back up where we left off on my favorite film series. Uh, that episode with my uh, my bestie, Dan Tyag. Um, we're going to be talking about Rob Reiner's A Few Good Men. So uh, that will be the next episode coming up, and it might be coming up quicker than, uh, than you imagine. I might put out two episodes this week. We'll see how it goes. So be on the lookout for that. How are you, sir? How are you, Greg? Can you hear me? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Have you had a busy day? I have. Still going. Okay, we'll try to make this quick. <clears throat> yeah, no I have problem. three. I have three questions. No. Um, so, uh, a friend of mine, Fernando and I, big fans of um, a cow- a Cocaine Cowboys going way back. Um, we have this thing um, that I kind of want to pick your brain on that we, we, we jokingly and affectionately call, uh, you know, uh, Scorsese's New York or Michael Mann's Los Angeles or Ben Affleck's Boston now. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of Billy Corbin's Miami? <laughs> well, I, 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 li- I like to think that it's, uh, that it's not Miami. It's, it's our Amy. Yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it a lot. You share a lot of responsibility for kind of the, the way that you're documentary, documenting the history of, uh, of Miami and Southern Florida. Um, well, it's very flattering that you'd say that. And, <laughs> and, and, we, and we, take, we take the responsibility a little bit seriously. Only oh, a little I'm sure. Only a little bit. <laughs> um, can, I, can I ask, growing up where you did and, and kind of knowing a little bit about your background, what do you think, um, not just filmmakers and films, but what, what are influences on your particular brand of filmmaking from, from that part of the world? Well, first, I, I think that, that, that our primary or at least original influences – uh, for our kind of filmmaking is not from filmmaking. I grew up as a film buff, so so we, you know, Dave and I grew up together, and uh, David Sipkin, and we watched a lot of movies, and and uh, you know, we we watched. I mean, mostly classics. We were in, interested in Billy Wilder and Alfred Hitchcock uh, wow. later on. Um, 
uh, you know, the James Bond movies were very influential. Nice. Um, the, uh, uh, I'm trying to think about the craziest shit. Woody Allen, um, the, uh, so uh, Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. certainly the, you know, Zaz, Zucker, Abram, Zucker, um, on the comedy front. Um, and, uh, later on, I remember being very impacted by, by Spike Lee, certainly, uh, Soderbergh, um, uh, Tarantino. Um, but I, I will say that, that when we started making docs, um, our, our influences were more from the world of journalism right. rather than filmmaking, you know, or at least, or at least it was, um, or at least the, the influence was kind of twofold, you know, because we started doing nonfiction, and then right. so we were influenced by by nonfiction uh, uh, sources. So like uh, Edna Buchanan and Carl Hyacin, um, uh-huh. and uh, I would say the Miami New Times. To tell you the truth, growing up, I think that was like our herald. You know, it was our alt weekly, and we were younger, and and so you know that's really where we. I read the Herald, but I think I started. Right you know, with, 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 uh, with the new times and, and, and so their, their take on things, the, I mean, they had some, you know, I mean, Jim DeFeedy, Frank Alvarado, like a lot of really skilled and, and talented. Like uh, investigative journalism. Absolutely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, uh, and that was, that was, that was sort of our, 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 our flavor, our taste, um, when it came to docs. Uh, It's interesting to hear you say that because it seems that you take it uh, a a lot more serious from a film buff standpoint when I thought, you know, watching your your documentaries, especially early on, they feel so infused with with music, with with uh, hip hop, with music video type cutting, uh, Ken Burns effect, you know, if, if you will. Do you think that at all of that, um, you know, being that you came up in a certain time period after, you know, like you say, after Tarantino, after MTV and everything, that that factored in at all? I mean, to the side? certainly everything that we watched. I wasn't a big MTV uh, viewer. Um, I mean, certainly I, I, you know, music videos were, were ubiquitous in our childhood. Sure. But I was I was kind of, although, you know, to tell you the truth, I think Michael Jackson was very influential because he started telling stories. Sure. You know, in his music videos. So I think storytelling was more important. That's I didn't I didn't like the just the sort of style over substance concept yes. of uh, of music videos. Whereas Michael Jackson was telling stories. He was hiring film directors, you know, storytellers, uh, right. and, and it wasn't just like okay, let's find a cool way to visually depict a song. It was like let's have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, right. as this as this this song builds. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, listen, everything that we consume. Obviously, it stays in our subconscious to some extent, and and, and it impacts sure. how we how we then turn around and and and, and do what we do. But uh, I'm just sort of telling you what I consciously, you know, sure. kind of recall, uh, right. uh, uh, having the greatest influence and in, in us emulating. And that was true. Docs. I, mean, I remember, you know, watching Docs uh, growing up. It was always sort of the true crime and the investigative journalism kind of pieces are what made the most profound. Effect, you know the the Paradise Lost movies, the Nick Broomfield movies, mm-hmm. um, you know ba- back when uh, when Michael Moore was like you know circa Roger and me, yeah, uh, you know uh, that that era of, of his filmmaking, um, and uh, so 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 we were always kind of inclined toward 
true crime and investigative journalism, even when it came to nonfiction films, too. So is that effect, um, in effect, is that focus on, on Miami and Southern Florida, is that really, you know, just, quote unquote, writing what you know, covering what you know? Oh, yeah, but, but, but that was a conscious decision, that, you know, a calculated decision that, 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 that we had made uh, early on. In, in our careers and you know uh, Dave I know since since nursery school and Alfred since um, middle school television production class and these uh, are the guys that you run rock and tour with yeah these are my partners at rock and tour so and so you know we, we it was a you know we, with with raw deal uh, a question of consent in going to Sundance and, and and having the experience that we had there which was just very uh exciting and, and overwhelming from, from just an attention standpoint, you know, the, right. the, the attention the movie got. Um, and you know, it was, it was a decision that we had made to stay in Miami and, and tell Miami stories. And it wasn't just, uh, writing what you know, or telling the stories about what you know, it, it was the fact that we thought it was such a wealth uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of, of stories and characters. It was just, it was just, it was a treasure trove, you know, <laughs> we, we oh, thought, yeah. um, Oh yeah. You know, as as Tony Montana would say, a great big pussy waiting to be fucked. <laughs> so, so, so th- that was always the feeling, and, and it seemed to be just this untapped resource that, like, that people were peripherally aware of, thanks to you know people like like Edna and and, and Hyacin, um, but but hadn't really explored. I mean, I. I I get frustrated with all the, I mean, how many times are we going to tell Al Capone's story? I mean, I just right, saw, right. I saw a trailer for another Peter Pan movie, you know, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. like, and yet Miami seems to be home to so many incredible original and unique characters and stories that no one has, has really bothered with. I mean, everybody treats it the way we kind of, we unfortunately, uh, propagate ourselves, which is this, this transient tourist town and right. not really a place where there are natural resources. And I think one of our greatest natural resources are stories. Oh, absolutely. I, and I characters. This, characters. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I get this more and more as I've been, you know, throughout your career watching your documentaries and, and watching Dogfight that just recently came out. And I'm seeing it with the you and the stuff that you did with 30 for 30 and uh, going back to Cocaine Cowboys, your whole your whole canon of films that you're making with Rock and Tour. And I see that that distinct telling stories about, you know, uh, generally, uh, just generalizing here, sometimes, uh, coming up with people who are in low income circumstances or trying their best to find avenues to get out of their, their stuck life. Uh, whether that's making money with, uh, uh, bare knuckle backyard boxing or playing sports or whatever, that they're just trying to change their way of life. And you really do have that kind of blue collar, every, every man quality to a lot of these films. Thank you. I don't know if there's a question there. But <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. There isn't. It's just a compliment. <laughs> but I, I appreciate it. What do you think about the... Um, I really wanted to know what the process was for researching and documenting this because, I mean, you do some pretty epic movies. Cooking Cowboys just got re-released. You guys did a recut of it, and it's a, yep. it's a two-and-a-half-hour joint now with, with uh, I believe, deleted material put back in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot of it's a total. It's it's not just like we, we just shoehorned a bunch of deleted shit in. Right. I mean, Dave sat here for a long time, and 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 I spent almost as long as I think we edited the first, you know, the original, and, right. and just edited the whole thing from scratch. Right. And um, so it's not just like oh, we just took the skeleton of of cocaine cowboys and um, and then started pushing in deleted shit. We we just decided to retell. The story, and we had so much material. I mean, there, there was deleted scenes that we put on the original 
mm-hmm. DVD where people were like, I, I would get really kind of angry messages about like how fucking stupid we were uh, because how could we, how could we cut this scene out? It's so important yeah. to understanding the, and I'm like, yeah, but that was everything that we cut, you know, right. like was, wait, we, we cut material, Cutting Cooking Cowboys was a very unique experience because it was such it was an embarrassment of riches as uh-huh, far as yeah. as far as storytelling is concerned. So, sure. so you know, uh, uh, and we started cutting out murders that Rivi was telling us about. And I remember Edna Buchanan telling us a story that every day, you know, she was running around from homicide scene to homicide scene, um, and she would. Uh, then try to write a story that incorporated all the murders of the day. And, wow. and her, her, her editor would always say, Edna, you know, you, we don't have the column inches. You know, you just have to pick right. like the one or two big major murders of the day or important murders of the day. Right. And Ed, Edna would say, well, all of them are important to somebody. Sure. You yeah. know, so, so, we, so we're like cutting murders out like they were like – I'll tell you a crazy story. Uh, we released – I told you we released the DVD with – like almost 30 minutes of deleted scenes, including a bunch of, of murder confessions that, that Rivi is, is, you know, right. uh, telling us. And I get an email. What do I get? I get a MySpace message, a Facebook something. I forget what it was in those days. And um, wasn't a friendster. I know that much. <laughs> not that and, far back. No, it's not that. It's not. But we're, we're still in. Yeah, we're. We're still in the in, in the uh, in the in the aughts at that point. But like uh, and this woman writes to me. Um, introduces herself, says she was a, a a girl, a woman who worked with and dated for a brief time this particular man, and she said, and I never knew what happened to him until I saw the deleted scene uh-huh. on Cocaine Cowboys and found out how he was murdered. Oh, and she man. dated him back in the in the eighties, and I think worked at his store or something, as if I recall correctly. And so she learned about what happened to this ex-boyfriend of hers decades earlier from the deleted scenes on our DVD, which is a oh, really man. disturbing kind of a, an idea. So so when we went back and revisited it, we kind of just restructured the movie and, and, and just wanted to – to me it was sort of more indicative of like the bigger story, the, the connections between the different people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, restoring some of the uh, the intricacies of, of Miami, the Cuban community, yeah, um, the, the, Mar- the Mariel Boatlift, the the Miami River cops, a lot of these things. Because the first cut of Cocaine Cowboys was four hours long, almost. So yeah. the, we weren't going to release that, obviously. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Though I'm sure there are people that would love that four hour cut. I'm sure they'd be out there. Probably, yeah. It's uh, no, it's pretty amazing that you kind of uh, pinpoint um, these extra these extra uh, plot points into it. You you add these in here, and they actually they do a very good job of fleshing it out. I just watched it recently. It's it's actually really good, and I'm glad to hear that. You know, uh, usually uh, DVD extras, Blu-ray extras are are so um, uh, you know throwaway often, and when it comes to deleted scenes, you can see why that material was deleted. But I do remember watching the deleted scenes on Cocaine Cowboys, and I'm like, this stuff is is it's fertile. It, it, it you know oh, it needs no, to be back. There's no question that material the, the material that was what I was saying about about the, the unique experience of editing Cocaine Cowboys was that the material that we cut out was just as good, if not better, right. than the material that made you know that, that made the cut. So right. um, it, it, it was really hard to cut uh, Cocaine Cowboys, and and uh, and and a wonder and so, so, someone. I, I also am. I'm a consumer of of home video, you know, releases. Right. I, I'm still. I still 
uh, purchase physical media on occasion. You know, some mm-hmm. of these lim- limited edition Blu-rays of, of cool shit that I remember from my childhood or stuff oh, yeah. that I always, always heard about and never got to see before. The only spe- bonus features that I really spend any time on or really look for actively um, are deleted scenes. Right. Um, because that's more movie. That's more yeah. content. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean – uh, it's not just interviews or commentary, which I also will watch some of that. But my favorite stuff and the stuff I really look out for is deleted scenes because it really gives you an insight into not only are you getting additional content, but it really gives you insight into how the movie was made and what the decisions were in terms of refining it. And sometimes you watch and you see, oh, shit, that was a hard cut. Sometimes, as you said, you watch and you go, thank God they cut that yeah, shit out. Sure. And, um, you know, sure. But you get to kind of get some insight into the, the, the post-production process, you know, and, and I, think that's, I think that's cool. Most of our projects spend the vast majority of their lives in post. I want to say, the- yeah, I was thinking about that, that you're crafting the story, you're molding a narrative really in edit, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you'd go out and you do your best with a um, – uh, Like with, a mission with, statement of ready – you know. Yeah. Well, you have your questions, you have your outline, you have right. a story you want to go out and get, but you're always going to get shit that you don't know about or you weren't prepared for, and that could be really good, if not better, than you know what what you what you sought out in the first place. And right. so, uh, you know, you're really putting it all together um, in post, right? How how long a uh, research and development uh, uh, time period do you have leading into? Let's say let's let's compare co- cocaine cowboys to your most recent dogfight. How long well, did those projects take to come to fruition? Well, diff- different projects necessitate different periods. I think it would be better to compare, um, say, cocaine cowboys to the U Part Two, or mm-hmm. even or even the U Part One to the U Part Two, because we, um, you know, we had like seven months all in to make the U Part Two. Gotcha. Um, that's not enough time. Uh, to- <laughs> Yeah. Really, to make to make a feature documentary, um, all in. I mean, from you know, from the you know, uh, from green light to to uh, premiere. That's not right. that's that's about that's about half the time almost that we like right. to that we like to have. So, Cocaine Cowboys was almost an over two year process because you, if you factor in, you know, we started researching very early on, you know, and, and then, and then it continued all the way through post-production because you're researching for B-roll materials and things that you need to tell the story visually. You know, once yeah. you start to cut it together, you're like, okay, we, 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 we know what some of the stuff, you know, some of the, the archive pulls and requests are early on, but then as you start to hone the edit down, you realize what, what's outstanding, you know, what you yeah. need. And uh, so you're researching all the way through to the very end. I mean, the wow. picture lock, basically. But you like to start as early as possible because some of this stuff covers a lot of ground. You know, a lot yeah. of years, a lot of people, um, and you want to make sure that you don't, you know, that you don't fuck it up or like you right. get as much of the information as you possibly can. The, it's great that you are through this this uh, process of documenting that you're managing to keep these time capsules of news packages and B-roll and these things that perfectly uh, illustrate the time period that you're covering. Um, you just don't see that uh, enough. It, it really a part of the the attraction that I find with your movies with with any of them from you know focusing on any particular setting is that you're able to transport me straight to to that part by having that those news packages and things like that. Well, it's an interesting thing about that particular era, just logistically. Uh, I don't know if this is any of any interest, but um, uh, we right around I think seventy nine 
in fact, I met a WPLG uh, photographer who told me he remembers in the summer of 79, um, which is when the, the Dadeland shooting happened. Right. Um, he remembers that was right around the time that was one of the first stories in which they had switched to their new cameras. They abandoned film right. and switched to their new video uh, format. Um, and uh, so you know, trying to cover stories that begin in 79, like the U does, like Cocaine Cowboys kind of mm-hmm. does, you know, um, right. the, the video doesn't is it doesn't last as long as film. Right. It's not, a, you know, and, and so the, it, and when it starts to go, it can't be restored like film, oh, you yeah, know, definitely. A, a videotape can't. And then, uh, and then of course the, as it starts to deteriorate, it looks like shit, you know? And yes. so oh, yeah. the, we found, we found tapes that'll never be recoverable, that the contents of which are just completely lost to, to time and to the deterioration of the video format. And so yeah. like, you know, it, it's kind of important and, and what, you know, what they do at the, uh, the uh, Florida Moving Image Archive at Miami Dade College is just an incredibly important uh, right. resource and, and, and historic record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like it's weird because there could be this whole generation almost or at least several decades or you know of like uh, news video that could be lost if people yeah. you know haven't haven't found a way to digitize it or preserve it by now. Absolutely, because you have this issue. I work in TV post production, and I see um, even the the movement f- away from tape going into hard drives and storage like that. I mean, there there have to be so many redundancies just so you don't lose that that stuff. I mean, tape is bad enough that it degrades over time, and uh, you putting it through a tape machine, it'll eventually will degrade or or break or whatever. But um, yeah, it, no matter what uh, format, digital or analog that you're using, that preservation part of it, because these things are such time capsules, I think has to be of utmost importance. Um, I do want to talk about dogfight here at the end. Um, I, I got to say, from just as an outsider looking in, that as a as a witness, that um, so much of your um, so many of your movies seem to have this hip hop culture cachet. They really do cover a lot about um, low income and minority. Communities. Communities. And, and Dogfight is a very particular um, experience to, to watch because it is at once really inspiring and then on the other side, extremely brutal. How did you start hearing about this, about these going on? Was it with, through uh, Kimbo Slice and, and kind of the, the popularity of him? Well, that was the beginning, obviously, but right. like everybody, everybody knew about, about Ferg, about Kimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we didn't know is what Frank Alvarado dug up for the New Times, which is that this, uh, you know, Kimbo's business model, so to speak, had inspired this new generation of fighters, and um, that there was this one man and his family, you know, Dafir Harris Dada Five Thousand, mm-hmm. who who had started to organize these events. Because if you'll recall the old Kimbo videos, they're kind of just like a few dudes in a backyard, you right. know what I mean? Like right. it's it's not, and and the whole point is to film it and then upload it. Um, the, the idea that these were organized like block parties or, or real or legitimate events when in fact they were, you know, unsanctioned, uh, and illegal, um, was obviously very intriguing. And you had this, this one man and his family that were sort of the central, uh, characters, uh, around this story was obviously of great, of great interest to us. And, and, uh, we went to check it out. Absolutely. Like with the, with the company now, I mean, 
early on, obviously, you kids are, you know, just out of college and you're trying to make good and, and create your own careers. And I guess that hunger has to always be there. I'm sure your hunger's still there. I'm not doubting your hunger. But with a, with a company having Raconteur together and, and having a, a bigger crew, I imagine, are you able to go out there and have, you know, uh, seven or, or five different people shooting an event like that when you would go out on whenever they have them on the weekends or whenever? Well, our company is three guys. I mean, that's basically oh, okay. the whole that's it. the whole company. Uh, you know, and and, and so uh, we had to we have to scale up when we go into production. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like 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 we have to bring people on. Um, right. But I I and but I really I had a very specific kind of aesthetic in in, in my mind for that for that shoot and 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 particularly because like all the YouTube videos that we had seen prior to that were just one camera on sticks in yeah. a corner, you know, one of the corners of the wide shot so you could see all yep. the fight, you know, the whole fight and the fighters and everything. And so we we just wanted to, to kind of raise the bar a bit um, and just kind of give it a, an action movie aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, and, and we didn't know exactly what the story was going to be yet. Um, we had a little bit of an idea, but, but, we, but that was the look we were going for. So we had nine cameras in the backyard, and we just recruited anybody and everybody we could who had a camera. I was teaching some film classes at the Art Institute at the time, and so um, I would recruit students. Um, nice. Some of which who did better jobs than others. Uh, <laughs> so, but, um, but I would just like anybody I could find who had a camera and who could point it, at, you know, and hit a red button? Right. Um, I, I would, I would say, let's, you know, come to the backyard this weekend. Um, now we had certain, you know, a core group that would do some interviews and other things like that. But like the fights themselves, I just kind of wanted saturation, you know. Right. So like we got, we got some friends who had a gym, you know. <laughs> we got right. that, you know. We just, we just tried to just raise the bar, literally, you know. Had uh, that th- coverage, that right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that that aesthetic because I really do feel like from a from a visual standpoint that you do have very interesting uh, a stylistic uh, um, uh, uh, idiosyncrasies. Um, with uh, with the time that's changed, are you able at all to to pinpoint how this your, your style has has kind of been honed and and more focused? Are you finding that you're more focused on a, a particular type of style or you is it always at the end of the day the story the human narrative and things like that oh no i i, I think i think the the idea is to serve the story so the right. style the style should serve the story so so you're saying we go in and we have kind of a we'll call it a um i don't know a style book or a style guide you know mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's and it's just and it, it might not literally be a physical guide necessarily but i'll have a conversation with our dp with examples of movies or stills or things that like for the lighting or for the, the, the look that, that, that we're thinking of have the same conversation with the composers, you know, about, about what, what, what it should sound like. And, and have the same conversation with your, the editors, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, and you just say, this is what, and then you're color correcting and all this, all these things, you just, you you want there to be some coherence and some cohesion. And so you just come up with, with a, with a vision for, the, the project that best suits or best, you know, that you can best tell the story, uh, with, you know, not, I mean, not everything, not, not every story can be told with the same style. I don't think you should, you should also try to conform sure. the story into, into the way, you know, you tell every story. I don't sure. think that's, that's, that's really good for the audience or good for the story. So, so, 
we just try to try to do. And, and then there's certain things like you know early on Cocaine Cowboys, we we shot multiple cameras, we shot with a dolly, which was not the norm at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going back to like oh four oh five, you know. Right, um, right, right. It's since then everybody does that. I'm not saying that we're, we're the first ones to do it, but we were among the first to do it because you never saw it before. Um, and then you know we had at least two cameras, sometimes three on a, on an interview. Um, it was always going to be very fast paced. The color scheme we were always going to fade to white instead of black. The color scheme and the the fonting was always going to be very kind of like mm-hmm. you know deco and ba- you know and 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 uh, baby blue you know pastel right, type colors. Right. Um, the music was always going to be a you know a synthy um, mar- Marauder <laughs> Don Hammer yeah, yeah. Kind, of, kind of Scarface Miami Vice vibe. Then then we were always going to. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think the average movie has about fifteen hundred cuts. Cocaine Cowboys has five thousand. Wow! Uh, so, so there was always the you know it was always that idea. Then, like Square Grouper is all earth tones. You know, mm-hmm. it's browns yes. and oranges and that 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 um, depth of field that that those those extra kind of wide wide shots and like everybody's yes. kind of sitting in a bar with a drink. You know, you get right. it's just it gives you that mellower kind of nostalgic right. vibe. You have an acoustic score by by dj uh spam and you have mm-hmm. like a very you know it's got a very jimmy buffety vibe to it It does it does it has a very southern vibe to me you know also yeah it's very interesting well, let me ask you before we uh, finish how how much has netflix p- played a role in getting kind of your movies out there do you feel like it's it's quite large oh crucial and of course completely indispensable on dogfight you know yeah sure uh so so it's like uh, you know, without them, I, I I fear that the movie would have just like, you know, languished on our, on our hard drives for eternity. Right. You know? <laughs> so, right, so right. I was just having that conversation with Dave today, actually. Like how, how like, un, just unspeakably, immeasurably gratifying it is to 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 see people on on Twitter, you know, yeah. watching the movie and talking about the movie, and I mean, it's like it's just it's amazing because there was a time when I thought that nobody would ever ever see it um and so you know when you when when you the podcasts have been incredibly vital Mm -hmm. too you know i mean like because because people will always find a way to see something but like the fact that there's like this whole new uh medium um with this very devoted listenership you know we're like because the people are very loyal and very passionate like if you go through the trouble to seek out a podcast it's because you you respect that person or you're entertained by that person and when they tell you when jay moore says i co-sign go see this when joe rogan Rogan talks about cocaine cowboys i mean shit for years my phone would blow up you know twitter would be like dude joe rogan's talking about your movie you know and 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 uh, same thing with opie you know, and Jimmy now, and 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 um, and it's just like it, it's incredible because people because w- w- when they hear about shit on a pot, it's it's much different from hearing about it, you know, on a thirty second spot right. during CSI, you know, right. or whatever. It's like someone's passionate about it. Someone's exactly. passionately putting it out there. Yes, yeah. this, this this person is a tastemaker and someone that you trust such that you are listening to them, you know, for yeah. two hours or three hours or whatever the hell it is, Absolutely. you know, and you and and you don't just turn on your radio. You have to seek them out. You know, you Absolutely. have to subscribe to their shit. You have to be really so. So that's been incredible, and the, and of course the advantage then is Joe Rogan says cocaine cowboys, and then you could turn around to Netflix and boom, you're yeah, streaming. Yeah, right there. So exactly, it's, it's you know, no pun intended. It's the one-two punch, you know, yes. of like of 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 people on social media who are now getting recommendations and advice from tastemakers that they trust, you know, Absolutely. and 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 the fact that it's that that our our work is so accessible. 
via Netflix yes. is just it's incredible. I would say you also being accessible and as transparent as you are, you know, that you're able to um, uh, uh, do this sort of communication with your fans that a lot of uh, artists don't, you know, unless they're on Twitter and they're active on Twitter. Um, Billy, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate right, you coming on and talking. Anytime, of course. Is there anything that you can plug right at the end here? People <laughs> could go find you on Twitter, right? You're Billy Corbin on Twitter. Yes, Billy Corbin, C-O-R-B-E-N on Twitter, and you know, come to uh, come to the website uh, R-A-K-O-N-T-U-R Rackentour dot com or CocaineCowboys.com. I love Dogfight. Go watch it; it's amazing. Billy, thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. Have a good one. Yeah.